This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome back. I'm Harbir Singh, co-director of the Mac Institute and a professor of management. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Our next guest is Thomas Knopf, a founder and CEO of Energy Distribution Partners. They're a rapidly growing Illinois-based propane distribution company that serves both business and, and residential customers. He's a serial entrepreneur with over 30 years' experience in creating and running companies in the changing energy market. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So uh, you've you've grown a lot of uh, businesses. You have bought, I think, about 80 companies. Uh, how did you develop the skills to do all those things? I began uh, with a... Uh with a major, uh, one of the major publicly traded companies in the space that was very acquisitive. It's an, it's an industry that is, has been under waves of consolidation for literally a half century. So there was lots of opportunity, uh, to get, to get my training. And, um, I ultimately saw an opportunity to combine M&A and financial skills with, um, with, with, uh, operating and marketing skills mm-hmm. in a way that would differentiate, differentiate us in the marketplace. And, uh, and that's why I uh, I became an entrepreneur and went on my own. So uh, tell us what Energy Distribution Partners does, and in some ways you talked about differentiation. Uh, how does it differentiate itself? We acquire uh, and operate and grow uh, local, uh, locally owned and operated uh, propane businesses that exist in all 3,300 counties of the United States, both for commercial and industrial purposes in the cities and for home heating and cooking in rural areas. And uh, we, we differentiate ourselves by uh, really in two ways. Operationally, we assume the role locally of um, having the look and feel of a local Main Street merchant. So, so we're the opposite of Walmart. We don't feel like a chain. We, we make ourselves easy to do business with. We're a good local corporate citizen. We sponsor local charities. We are a good local employer. We put our best trucks in the local parades, and we strive to be well thought of as an independent business. As a matter of fact, we maintain the local um, business trade name or a trade name that's very close to it when we acquire the local businesses. Um, from a financial standpoint, we, we have, we've innovated. Uh, because this is my third company, mm-hmm. uh, we've learned to innovate by uh, using the private equity marketplace in a little bit different way so that we don't have an expiration date on ourselves, you might say. Private equity generally has to exit around five to seven years after their initial investment. Mm-hmm. And so in order to avoid that avoid that uh, sort of built-in expiration date, we formed our own look-alike private equity fund mm-hmm. uh, with only ourselves as a portfolio company. Interesting. So, that, in fact, I was wondering about... Uh, when you were raising this question about uh, you know buying out uh, smaller companies and creating some consistency, but retaining the local look, um, that uh, there may be other acquirers potentially present, um, and or are there not? Is it the kind of business where you know it, it's a specialized skill to identify the better the the entrepreneurs who may be most uh, you know suitable to your business model? 
we always have competition for these businesses. They're attractive businesses. They have a, a recurring revenue model. They're a non-discretionary purchase. Mm-hmm. And there are both national uh, national competitors, big publicly traded corporations that that we have as competitors and other uh, middle market companies such as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we just have to perform better. We have to, we have to be better on two fronts simultaneously, the operational front mm-hmm. and the financial front. That's a little rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we are better executors at that than most of our competition is, and we have to position ourselves and be better problem solvers for the nuances of these uh, independently owned sellers that have their own estate planning problems and personal uh, goals that they're trying to achieve in their own lives, and to the extent that we can be a better solutions provider, we win. Um, we win our share of the transactions. So, um, if I'm an entrepreneur and you approach me, and you know there are other, there's a publicly held company, and then there are other middle market people, uh, then can you just give me a little bit more uh, sense of, um, you know, you talked about operational fit and also a track record that how uh, how you would differentiate with that. And the reason why I'm, I'm raising that is uh, you talked about, I think you, you are making a very interesting point, which is around innovating as a serial acquirer. And that's why I wanted to learn more about that. The, the, the thing that would be most uh, uh, concerning to you, the, 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 the market forces are going to get everyone about to the same, every one of your potential acquirers about to the same price. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the capital markets are the are the backstop Absolutely, for yeah. all of the transactions, and everyone will be within a very narrow price bracket. What you will be looking for is uh, you're probably an entrepreneur that wants to remain in the community. Mm-hmm. You've built your business over a lifetime. You care about uh, the legacy of that business and the trade name and the employees and the customers. Right. You want to continue to be able to hold your head up in the community and not have to avoid your neighbors and friends because uh, – the uh, replacement company for you has uh, has violated expectations in terms of customer service or pricing, availability, or problem solving. Mm-hmm. And we have a track record of accomplishing that, and former sellers, some of whom work for us and, and others of whom are happy uh, to provide uh, uh, really uh, spontaneous testimonials uh, that, uh, that help us establish our reputation and set us apart. Mm-hmm. So you must be having... Uh, so that's yeah. So it's really about the references from other acquirers, some some other acquired companies. Some of, some founders may still be with you, and others speak highly of you, which which I think is a fascinating point because very often at the end of these transactions, you know, there is uh, not always a, a you know a truly positive view on all sides. Um, so how do you do? You have like a you had a goal of being a preferred acquirer and worked very hard to, you know, build that reputation and enhance it. That's that's correct. And uh, the uh, one of the differentiators is we recognize that the the M and A transaction itself, the closing, the financial expertise we have to bring to that in order to get it done is not the end of the project, really, but the beginning of the project. And for example, I was introducing our company to a group of employees uh, two weeks ago that had just found out that they were being acquired on that day. And the point that it was uh, necessary for me to make, and this is the key differentiator, and the seller knew we were going to execute on this or he wouldn't have chosen us, mm-hmm. is that we have 70,000 70, customers across the country. Uh, employees don't go looking for... 
transformational transactions to happen in the place that they work. That's imposed upon them, mm-hmm. and they're they're frightened and they're potentially resentful. Mm-hmm. What's true for us, and that we have to we have to get across to the employees in order to gain their trust, is that they are the most important part of our business. They're actually more important than the customers because we know that the employees will treat customers in the way that uh, uh, we treat them, and so. Mm-hmm. We focus our business on the customers. For example, the uh, customers, uh, the employees that uh, that uh, just started with us two weeks ago, a key point that we made to them was if you've been with the selling company for 15 years, as, as far as we've concerned, you've been with us for 15 years. Mm-hmm. We want you to think of this as, as a seamless uh, integration, and you'll find as you as you move forward that we will, uh, we will execute on proving that uh, employees are the most important part of our of our execution. That's really wonderful, and I'll, I'll uh, be back just in a minute, but um, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Harbir Singh. My guest is Thomas Knopf, CEO and founder of Energy Distribution Partners, and we're talking about being a serial acquirer in the propane distribution business and using an innovative model. This is really about business innovation, and uh, to some extent, of course, also about uh, new uh, processes and so on. So the, just to continue the conversation, Thomas, I think the issue of uh, assuring credibly to your employees that uh, the new your new employees that you actually would be highly uh, – would recognize their experience and so on, um, that requires continuity in your own team so that the people you send out – actually uh, are able to refer to other transactions and so on. Uh, that's true. And as a matter of fact, uh, being the acquirer of choice for the, for the businesses in our industry is, is only half of, the, uh, half of the game. The other half is to be the employer of choice for the best and brightest people uh, in our industry. And uh, putting together a key management team that's able to execute and able to outperform their peers in competitors, mm-hmm. uh, competitors' companies, is uh, central uh, to our to our success. And and putting the uh, putting the team together and keeping them motivated and continuing their employment based on success is the ro- most important job I have as CEO. So tell me a little bit more about the fund you were creating. I think you were talking about how uh, your you know in many ways your approach resembles that of private equity firms, which will buy assets, but looking to exit in, you know, let's say five years. But uh, you're talking about a variation on that. Yes, it's a, it's a variation to the extent that desiring to remain independent beyond the five- to seven-year private equity window and continue to grow, um, we designed um, a, a limited partnership entity that is very similar to the uh, limited partnership entities that uh, house private equity investors Mm-hmm. Uh, with a general partnership that the that the uh, founding investors uh, share a portion of, mm-hmm. and what it provides is that if an investor, for reasons that have nothing to do with our industry or nothing to do with our strategy, have to exit mm-hmm. or liquidate their investment, as many investors did during the financial crisis, for example, right. even in even in sound industries, they had to exit their investments in order to provide liquidity. We have the ability. We have 44 investors instead of one investor. So if we have to. Uh, provide liquidity for one or more, a handful of investors. We have the ability to do that without uh, d- doing a terminal transaction that causes the company to cease to exist. 
Very interesting. So it's really a, a way to sort of extend their life by giving people uh, opportunities to exit while still allowing the vehicle to continue. Exactly so. And very interesting. And, and do you see this in other industries as well? I think many industries are consolidating for a variety of reasons. Are you seeing uh, serial acquirers of uh, entrepreneurial companies uh, mirroring some of this process, or is this kind of unique to your industry and your company? Frankly, this 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 miniature private equity fund approach or non-fund approach, uh, if you will, mm-hmm. I haven't seen that duplicated elsewhere. And uh, I credit a former investment banking partner of mine for having it as his brainchild, and it has uh, it has worked very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, other industries tend to uh, build to uh, to critical mass. And if they can go public, they go public, or mm-hmm. they they sell to a strategic investor, and sometimes today they sell to another private equity fund, if depending upon the strategic intent right. of the second successor private equity fund. They, In yeah. our case, we wanted to get uh, to critical mass and get to the public market, but not have to get to the public market within a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. or else force uh, an exit. And in fact, uh, our portion, the energy portion of the public market, the MLP space, has mm-hmm. been in somewhat disarray for the last year or so, so it's not uh, really uh, feasible for us to go public now. So we very much need the structure that we created, and we can we can find and cultivate successor investors to mm-hmm. liquidate people who are at their time horizon and need to and need to exit without uh, bringing the company to an end. So the main innovation is fascinating. Uh, I, I should actually, uh, in full disclosure, I've. I teach a course on uh, mergers and acquisitions, and in that, we talk a lot about uh, what we call uh, the two things you're talking about. One is being the preferred acquirer, but that really comes from investing in acquisition, acquisition capability, which you're actually you've you've articulated very well. Uh, what's fascinating about your point, though, is that you've also created a vehicle which seems to be, in many ways. Uh, both innovative and unique to uh, your your particular setting. Um, do you think that there are some limits to scale in this, uh, or um, are there some other? And that's totally fine, right? Because you can always uh, churn out uh, some units and add others. It doesn't one doesn't have to keep growing. It is about maximizing profit or impact. Any thoughts on that? I think there are uh, some limits in in scale. Uh, frankly, the uh, in order for us to uh, to get to to the to the next level of growth, we will seek uh, infrastructure related investors that that like to put in nine figures uh, between a hundred and four hundred million dollars mm-hmm. and um, they will they those successor investors would have to be part of a very large uh, single purpose fund if we were going to continue the multiple right. investor approach right. and so the the next phase of our growth will probably involve such an institution either buying part of our existing infrastructure or uh, really starting the infrastructure over and uh, starting a new using us as a platform for the for the new phase of growth mm-hmm. I think that what what we're doing works um, up to uh, about the size we are now it's it's designed to get us it was designed originally to get us uh, to the critical mass needed for the public market and so if we're going to double and triple in size we'll need to modify the structure probably with fewer investors and so as you look at um, other industries or other geographies, uh, do you see other in- – I, I know consolidation is taking place in many industries. Uh, do you see kind of uh, domains that maybe 
really at the right place for such a model to emerge? Uh, we we try to discipline ourselves to not get the uh, Midas touch disease where we think we can do this in other industries. However, I will say that um, the uh, the propane gas distribution industry t- tends to be uh, joined at the hip with the heating oil distribution business and the gasoline and diesel fuel uh, distribution business in various parts of the country. Uh, sometimes it's not possible to separate the businesses when you acquire them, and so we've acquired in those spaces also and uh, execute according to the same parameters. I, th- I think that what we know we don't have is the expertise to apply what we're doing uh, in uh, self- with self-storage uh, projects or uh, uh, laundromats or something that we don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. But I would think that any highly fragmented uh, business where a Main Street style of doing businesses can be effective against uh, the national chains mm-hmm. And where the uh, where the fragmentation is is indefinite as it is in our is in our industry that some of the same techniques could apply. And so, if you were advising, you know, we are of course at a business school here. If you were talking to uh, people just finishing their MBA uh, degree, uh, what advice would you give them about uh, being an entrepreneur or a serial acquirer? I think that. Um, Recognize from the outset that having only financial skills or only operational skills is not enough. Uh, you really need both. And I would I would say study study the materials and get the experience on both fronts. Uh, in almost all cases, uh, in my experience, and I have been in the industry since the early '80s, mm-hmm. uh, you don't find both of that both of those skill sets in the same skull. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to have that. And if you look at, um, you know, other domains, I know we, when I talked about other domains, I was uh, not just asking about diversification uh, by your entity, but also about, you know, places where uh, this idea of uh, of innovating on the, on the financial side as well as on the operational side uh, could actually create a lot of value. Uh, do you see... Um, this is something, for example, on a global front or across national, not so much cross-border, but in particular geographies, that you might start seeing similar consolidation. Well, I uh, I, I don't think I have the expertise to to know that. Uh, in in our industry, our industry itself can go cross-border. As a matter of fact, we have three new, uh, two European and one Canadian entrant uh, in the U.S. market uh, as we speak. Um, but as far as the financial uh, the financial design mm-hmm. itself, um, I haven't explored whether or not it could be applied to other industries uh, or to go uh, across border. But I I imagine that it could. After all, the the, uh, the it used to be assumed that the owner of a private business uh, could sell to a private equity group. But once it was sold to a private equity group, uh, then it had to be uh, sold to another strategic. So the sale of an entity from a one private equity group to another mm-hmm. is in itself uh, an innovation, you might say, because right. private equity owns so much of, of the uh, uh, profile of private businesses in America that their own uh, port- portfolios become strategic acquirers, if you will. So there's there should be room in there uh, yes. for the kind of, of uh, mini uh, LP approach or, or wholesale approach, if you will, that, that we've taken. That's actually fascinating, I'm, uh, and I've indeed actually seen that 
in some uh, other markets where, uh, as you said, private equity's presence has become quite high, and uh, sometimes the exit means uh, selling to another private equity entity. Exactly so. And, and I think that's that's uh, also a fa- that's a interesting way of looking at uh, you know changing your portfolio. So um, that's really wonderful. Um, thank you so much, uh, Thomas, for joining us uh, on the show today. How can listeners find out more about what you're doing? We are uh, on the on the web at um, www.edplp.net.net, not .com. Yes. And uh, all of our uh, information and, and further contact information is on that website. Thanks. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.